Living Hope Church has three core values that are really non-negotiable because they are forged from three fundamental commands from God. Are you ready to hear them? So as followers of Christ, we must be committed to loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength because that is the greatest commandment. Embracing that command then launches us into loving our neighbors as ourselves because our neighbors are made in God's image. And when we think about the most loving thing that we can do for our neighbor, we're constrained to try and point them to Christ. Because in Christ, they gain eternal life. What better gift could we share with our neighbor? So in our moments of clarity, uh, we know that genuinely loving God, genuinely loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, is what makes the gospel attractive. But this brings us to a very important question. What does loving God and our neighbor look like in the everyday shoe leather of life? Well, I'm glad we don't have to guess. The Apostle Paul teaches us in Romans 13.10, love is the fulfillment of the law. That is, love doesn't set God's law aside because God's law defines what love looks like. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 15, if you love me, then you're going to obey what I command. That's how it works. Now, in case we just couldn't quite grasp what he said there in John 14, 15, he goes and he gives us an opposite to teach the, the positive. Uh, in John 14, 24, he says, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching." And so it's interesting that sometimes the best way to describe love is to speak about what love does not do. For example, a person who loves God does not give his heart to idols. That's the point of the first and second commandment. Nor will a person who loves God pretend to speak with God when he knows he doesn't. That's taking God's name in vain. Third commandment. And please don't tell me that you love your neighbor if you can't wait to steal from him. That's, that's the eighth commandment. Nor do you love your neighbor if you're constantly lying to him and about him, which is the, a violation of the ninth commandment. But if you're like me, sometimes you want to just know, okay, but what does love do? What does it look like? What does it, give me some positive things. Well, if, if you feel that way, then I've got some good news for you because the New Testament is filled with one another commands which tell us what love does. For example, be at peace with one another. Be devoted to one another. Bear with one another. Have equal concern for one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And on and on. And so this morning, I'm going to preach on the command to forgive one another. And I'm, I'm preaching on this because in my own personal journey with Christ, right now I'm seeing how important that command is. And I'm preaching on it because I think about at least two or three times a year, we should hear a sermon on forgiveness. 
It's hugely important. And I'm, I'm laying the format of this message on forgiveness. Uh, it comes from a biblical counseling manual entitled Self-Confrontation. I like that title. Because we're not going to grow up in Christ if we don't know how to be honest about ourselves. You have to be honest about yourself. And so, are we ready for some self-confrontation this morning? I'm going to first state a biblical principle involved in forgiveness. There's going to be nine, and then I'm going to give the scriptural foundation for that principle. Principle number one, if you do not love others, you do not love God. Not very complicated, is it? No sugarcoating on that, but actually that's stated in a more gentle way than the passage of scripture that supports it. 1 John 4, 20. Through 21. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command whoever loves God must also love his brother. So, not to forgive someone is to choose not to love that person. Some of you may be thinking, oh, but Pastor Mark, I, you just don't understand my situation. I, I, someone has done me such dirt. I, I have tried. I cannot forgive that person. Well, this leads us to the next biblical principle, number two. The principle is this. God has enabled you to forgive others, or he would not have commanded you to do so. Ephesians 4.32 gives us the following commands. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I don't see any wiggle room there. I just don't see any, any way of uh, getting around it. Third principle is a cousin of forgiving others. This is what it says. When you knowingly wrong others, God commands you to seek their forgiveness and be reconciled if possible. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, now Christ is speaking to Jewish people. God's temporary provisions for forgiveness were animal sacrifices. And they, they gave those sacrifices at the temple altar. So Christ says, you, you, you remember while you're making that, that sacrifice that your neighbor has something against you. So he says, right there at the altar, and you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar and first, go and be reconciled to your brother. I mean, ask his forgiveness. Then come and offer your gift. And the idea there is that if, if you do not seek your brother's forgiveness, don't bother asking God for his. This leads us to principle number four. If you, as a child of God, do not forgive others, then God the Father's forgiveness of your current sins with, will be withheld. That's kind of an interesting statement, isn't it? It's a sobering statement. Here's the scriptural support for it. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, well, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let's talk some more about that truth. 
Now, the earthly discipline that we can receive as, as Christians, that does not cancel out our union with Christ. Through faith in Christ, we have become adopted into God's eternal family. It's eternal because you always are there. You, you don't fall out of it. It never ceases, you never cease to be a part of it. Uh, a genuine believer is secure in Christ, so let's make that straight. But it does not mean that we cannot experience God's earthly discipline. Matter of fact, you can kind of count on it if you know the Lord. Hebrews 12, 7 asks the question, For what son is not disciplined by his father? And so when, as, when, when we as Christians get ourselves into a state of mind where we refuse to forgive others, then there's a rule of discipline that God follows. It's, it's most clearly stated in Obadiah 1.15. As you have done, it will be done to you. Well, let me illustrate it this way. If we have children who are just defiantly misbehaving and we have uh, given them a word of correction and told them that, you know, you need to knock that off, and, but they absolutely will not listen, they will not heed, then we may have to temporarily shut off our uh, fellowship with our child and say, you need to go to your room. And you know what? While they're in their room, they're not receiving our forgiveness. They're cut off. Now, are they still our children? Of course they're still our children. But they are not experiencing our love and forgiveness at that time. Not until they come and say, we were wrong and uh, we ask you to forgive us. And then, guess what? Fellowship is restored. Now, the same principle of withheld forgiveness and suspended fellowship applies when we refuse to go to others that we have wronged and ask for their forgiveness. Now, friends, because we live in a fallen world, there may be times that you cannot go to a person that you've wronged and seek forgiveness because if you do, it's going to even bring perhaps more hurt into their lives. And so, but most of the time, we need to go and ask forgiveness. And if we have taken from them, if we have uh, caused them to lose money, well, then we have to be willing to make restitution. But you know what? When we do what the Lord tells us to do, if we haven't been doing it, we repent, and we do what God tells, you, tells us to do, then we need to realize God is eager to forgive us. Don't ever think that said, oh, I don't know, I've, I've, I've sinned this one so many times, I don't think I can. No, God, confess it, repent, God will forgive. I love Ezekiel 18, 21 through 22. God says, if a wicked man, this is a guy who, he's really practiced in wickedness, but if a wicked man turns away from his sins and does what is right, none of the offenses he has committed will be remembered against him. It's just... God's grace and mercy is amazing. Now, God's judgment upon unbelievers will ultimately result in their eternal separation from Him. But God will never do that to a believer. Now, God will discipline us now when it's necessary. And, and He can discipline us even to the point of taking us home, of ending our earthly life. So he said, whoa, God can be 
hard, he, could, he could be severe. And this was going on, by the way, in, in the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 11, 30. Uh, Paul says, for, because of what they were doing, some of them were sick and some of them died. They died. And so do you think God knows how hard it is to forgive a person who has truly betrayed us? Does God know how hard it is to forgive a person who we have done good and cared for and they have treated us like an enemy? Does God know how difficult that is? Well, yeah. God understands it's hard, but God regularly calls upon us to do hard things. And it's by doing hard things that we grow. This is confirmed in the next biblical principle. Number five, as followers of Christ, you are commanded to love even your enemies. Is that hard? Yes. Jesus states it in Matthew 5, 43 through 47. First, he says something that's not true. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. False, false teaching. Christ now straightens it out. Verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, pff, big deal. What reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? No, God asks us to do hard things, and he enables us to do hard things. Principle number six, not to forgive others is to live in disobedience to God. Now, God understands sometimes it's a process, but when God sees you're committed to the process, he's pleased. James 4.17, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, refuses to do it, that's sin. Principle 7, if you refuse to forgive others in light of how much God has forgiven you, then you are empty of gratitude for God's mercy. Luke 6.36, be merciful. By the way, to be merciful requires forgiveness. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Now, I want to probe that uh, a little bit. Let's say a woman is brutally raped. Is she supposed to forgive that man? Yes. She will need to start the process of seeking God's strength to forgive him. But also, we need to keep something else in mind. Civil government's job is to apprehend that man and after a thorough and fair trial, see that he receives a just and appropriate punishment. And if the woman who was raped is called upon to witness, to be a witness in the trial, she is supposed to do that. Because by being a truthful witness, she may be able to help other women from being attacked by that man. And the point is this. We can forgive and still remember. The raped woman is working on forgiving the man, but she can still remember this is what he did. She could testify. 
And the woman who was, who was raped can hate what the man did, but still trust that God can and will make good come from that evil act. Friends, it does no good for us to drink a poisonous cup of hate and hope that it's going to kill the person who wronged us. Principle number eight, refusing to be merciful to others means your heart has not been changed by God's love and God's mercy to you. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. This is the primary text, and I hope but open your Bible and, and follow with me. This is not going to be up uh, on the screen. This is, a, this is a rather famous passage. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? But Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. That is, don't keep a record. Let me do bring this in right at this point. We're all a church here, Living Hope Church. If there's a member of this church who is constantly wronging others, doing dirt to others, then you know what? It's the responsibility of the elders when they know of this to go to that person, to reason with that person that they need to repent. And if that person will not listen to the elders, they will not listen to the church on this matter, then all we can assume is they're not believers and you treat them as an unbeliever. Do we hate unbelievers, by the way? No, we don't. But we just recognize that they're, they're not a part, that they're not a member of the true and living of the church. Verse 23, we're going on. Therefore, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. I mean, that's, that's like a national debt. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered, this is, by the way, just usual stuff. This is how that was done. He ordered that the man and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Oh, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now listen to this. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Man, that's an enormous, whoa. And then look what happens. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's not even in the same ballpark as what this guy. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Did we hear that before? Yeah, we just heard that, didn't we? But he refused. Instead, he went off, and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Well, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. They said, this is simply not right. And they went and they told the master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. 
Principle number nine, refusing to forgive others, which is a sin, means you have not made a biblical confession of that sin. Because to confess sin rightly before the Lord means that you agree with God about the wrongness of your sin with a corresponding commitment to forsake that sin. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so at this point, I'm just going to take a quick look at the biblical truth of God's forgiveness involves remembering our sins no more. There's, sometimes I think there's a little confusion on this. Isaiah 43, 25, this is where it's stated, I, even I, God, am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. For a Christian, that means God will not hold our sins against us on Judgment Day since he has cleansed us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This is what it says in Ephesians 1.7. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Now, what I'm saying is this, though. While God forgives us our sins, he doesn't forget in the sense that he erases it from his memory. Uh, uh, from, he erases from his memory what we have done. I'm saying that because God is omniscient. He knows everything. God cannot know everything and at the same time have forgotten some things. And I think this is all backed up by the truth that we will all give an account of our sins on Judgment Day. I'm going to give you two passages here. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And when we keep God's commandments, it's a way of showing love to God and love to others. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Apostle Paul says, we, we, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things we have done while in this body, whether good or bad. And so it seems to me that on judgment day, Every idle word, everything that we have done is going to be presented. God might be able to, God, you know, he might have said, well, you know, this is what you deserve for all this, but no, no, no. Christ paid for that. And instead, God can say, yeah, and in, because Christ has given you his righteousness and, and he's forgiven that, I am going to give you eternal life. You know, I, in some ways, I think it's not until Judgment Day that we're going to fully realize how much we have been forgiven. There is not going to be one proud Christian in heaven. There is going to be no person boasting about, man, I'm just a cut above these others. No, we're all going to know it's pure grace that got us into heaven. It's, it's Christ's righteousness imputed to our accounts. And so what I'm saying is not to remember something means not to hold something against us. In Psalm 25, 7, David prays to God, remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. And friends, if David could remember the sins of his youth, God, God could too. 
But in a legal sense, God can remove our sin from us as far as the east and from the west and hold it against us no more. Now let me just testify that most of the time when the Holy Spirit draws my attention to a sin or sins that I have committed, I confess it to God immediately. I don't wait for the end of the day and say, oh, let me see what I can remember all my sins. No. When the Holy Spirit makes me aware, I confess it, get back on the track. That's, that's what we need to do. And when I do that, I'll often say, oh, God, thank you that you've forgiven me all my sins in Christ. But if I've been fighting God for weeks and saying, I'm not forgiving that person, but no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Well, then what's God going to do? He's going to send me to my room, right? And in my room, there's this suspended uh, fellowship, suspended forgiveness. And um, until I get so miserable, I say, okay, God, you're right. As always, you're right. Of course, I'm going to forgive that person. And you know what? When I have that kind of thing, it's very appropriate for me to say, God, please forgive me for my stubbornness, please. And God always does. He always does. I'm going to close by saying this. If a person habitually refuses to forgive others, then it is likely that person has never been born again. Because how can I truly believe that God has forgiven me a mountain size of sin against him and then turn around and absolutely refuse to forgive a person because of a thimble size of sin against me. I can't do it. Would you bow your heads with me and let's, let's pray. Father God, you speak very clearly about our need to forgive others and our need to go to others that we know we have, we have wronged them. And you expect us to go and ask forgiveness, to make restitution if that's if that's needed, and, and if it's possible. And so, Father, help us to know just how much we've been forgiven, and may the gratitude that should well up in our hearts give us strength and motivation to forgive others, and to go to those that we have wronged and ask their forgiveness because lord you have made us to be in union with yourself and in union with one another and that's how it all works the best so help us to walk it out by the power of your holy spirit i pray in jesus name amen